And welcome to another edition of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are your retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty. I'm George. And I'm Mike Z. On today's show, we remember Super Marionation. Well, thank you for joining us on another edition of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We're very pleased to have you with us. We have a fun show today, and we're going to start off by playing a little bit of music. Uh, see if this evokes any memories. I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you around the universe in Fireball XL5. Way out in space together, conquers of the sky. My heart would be a fireball. I wish we had cameras here. George and Mike Z are just having a ball. George is doing the frug. That's the frug if ever I saw it. <laughs> does that, uh, does that uh, song uh, evoke any memories? Well, it, it probably should. It would be reminiscent of the, of the golden age of Super Marionation in the early 60s, part of the British TV invasion. And George... And Mike Z are going to talk all about this. It's a great topic. I'm going to turn it over to them and just turn them loose and get your rockets ready to go, because here we go. Oh. Mike, George? This is a juicy topic, man. Well, I could sink my teeth into this for about two hours. Okay, now I've never heard anybody else talk about this. I don't think there are too many people under the age of 40 who would remember it. But when I was a kid, and I'm talking about in the early 1960s, living in New York, how clearly do I remember sitting in front of our black-and-white Dumont TV and watching Fireball XL5 and Supercar and some of the early 60s British import super marionation shows uh, that were done by, actually it was Jerry and Sylvia Anderson in England. Now, George and I are going to throw this around because, George, you remember watching these shows also. But let me first tell people what it was, if you're not too familiar with it. These were shows that were originally done in black and white, and they were not animated. These were done with marionettes. These were done with puppets. But they were done in a truly unique and advanced style. These shows were typically set sometime in the future. And the first one that we're going to talk about chronologically was Supercar. Supercar came out in the early 1960s. And the theme of the show was a car that could both fly and go underwater and, of course, roll along on the road. And the car was owned by a crime-fighting organization whose job it was to travel around the world, under the sea, and in space, and fight crime. Who actually were, who were the heroes of this show? Okay, Well, the, the series was set in Nevada, uh, and it was set at the Black Rock Lab with uh, Professor Popkiss, Dr. Beaker, and, of course, Mike Mercury, the pilot of Supercar, and Jimmy Gibson, his sidekick, and... Mitch the Monkey. Mitch the Monkey. Whereas we talk about some of these shows, well, that will be a common element. Will it not, George? Absolutely. We look at these shows, and it brings back such an era of excitement. I can remember that Saturday mornings was not a time when I was confined to being in front of the TV set by myself. My dad Dad used to watch those shows with me, especially Fireball XL5. Uh-huh. And what's so exciting about Supercar was that it reflected what was going on in real life at that time. My father, being an aerospace engineer, uh, was involved with high-tech, multi-purpose aircraft 
most notably like the X-15 rocket plane, the SR-71, and other planes that inspired the supercar, which was actually tracing its historical origins to Jules Verne, the master of the world, had a aircraft that could do all of the things that the supercar could do. It could be a submarine, it could fly in the air, it could be a very fast car. Ah, okay. Well, supercar, there, there were 39 episodes of this of this show done. And I, I can tell you for a fact that not only did I see them all when they ran on TV, but I now have them all on DVD. Very, very well done show. Very entertaining show. And... Yes, these shows were aimed at kids. There's no doubt about that. There was always, you know, a 12 or a 13-year-old sidekick. But as we have spoken about, George, these shows could also be enjoyed by adults. I mean, it's a type of show that you really could sit down with, usually your dad, but maybe mom and dad, and they could watch it too. And they would say, you know what, that was an entertaining half hour. There was semi-adult content in the sense of there was stories with a purpose. And you mentioned about the use of marionette puppets. Mm -hmm. If you go back over time, marionette puppets have always been used to teach kids about values, about life lessons through role-playing. Role-playing nowadays has now gone to a digitized format through video games where people are able to play in a virtual world all over the world. But the super marionation allowed us to see it right there and to be part of it. And marionettes are require imagination, interactivity. It has the elements of let's play pretend, but you can touch, you can feel, you can hold them. They're very real. And as you noted, uh, Mike Z, they require skill and artistry. Great deal of skill to operate them. One of the nice, one of the interesting things about super marionation, one of its features was that the mouths were not allegedly operated by string. What they did was they had the audio dialogue track, and that was played back, and then the mouth itself was electrically operated by a solenoid in synchronism with the audio track. So there was no delay between the puppeteer listening on his or her headphones and the operation of the mouth itself. But I loved watching Supercar, and that's going to lead us into our next show that was also done by Sylvia Anderson. It was the follow-up to Supercar, and this is one that we both remember, because there were 39 episodes of Fireball XL5. And if you and I, and we were, were fans of Fireball XL5, we remember pilot the brave Steve Zodiac, the fetching Venus, his girlfriend, uh, Professor Matic, who was the kind of technical whiz, Robbie the Robot, who talked like this, of course... And Zo- I think it was Zuni. Was Zuni the monkey? Zuni was the space monkey. And here's the interesting thing, is that at the time, in the early 1960s, the U.S. space program began by sending monkeys into space. There was Ham, was the uh, U.S. monkey that was sent into space. And so it's kind of interesting that we have this uh, theme of monkeys being uh, the pets in the first two Super Marionation shows. Mm. And Fireball XL5 was, I believe, the first one of the shows to be heavily marketed insofar as, you know, the toys would go, heavily merchandise. I know, because I had an actual full-size Fireball XL5, and I also had all of the elements of Space City. Regrettably, and this is probably a play on words here, to another famous iconic show that we talked about in another episode, (laughs) it is Lost in Space, Somewhere in Time. But I do have, which I'll scan for our website, I have an original coloring book in mint condition of Fireball XL5. And by the way, I never colored in it. I, it's has all three stories in there. 
It's in perfect condition. And by the way, it's sold for the huge cost at that time of 29 cents. What I find fascinating about that, George, is that this coloring book is actually from your childhood. Yes. And you've had it all these years. I've had it all these years. <laughs> and all Sorry, you can color in it now, George. I I'll give you some crayons. <laughs> I will. What's so much fun about this, Mike, and I would love for you to maybe explain a little bit more about this, is that you look at Supercar. Fireball XL5, which, of course, was inspired by the uh, U.S. Uh, and Soviet spaceflight expeditions during the 1960s. And then, of course, later we had Stingray and Thunderbirds. There, there were five characteristics that were common to all of them. You had the high-tech orientation. You had a central cast of heroes that all were highly educated. They had great technical skills. They were brave. They were strong. They were ethical. You had rousing theme songs. The best known oh. one is the Fireball XL5. You had the zany pets. Yep. Um, we mentioned about Mitch and Zuni, but on Stingray, and, there was Oink, who was the pup seal. Oh, and the egghead professor, by the way. Yes. Yep. And then we have to mention, and you alluded to it earlier, there was exotic women. There was mm. not only the beautiful Venus on Fireball XL5, who was the co-pilot, but there was Marina, the mermaid, and Stingray, and there was Penelope in Thunderbird. So you had these five common elements that made it attractive for adults as well as kids. Yeah, and uh, you're absolutely right about that. I want to say something else. I want to make something really clear here. I am not in any way a science fiction fan. I am not a comic book guy. I do not go to the comic book convention. I am not into any of this stuff. It doesn't do anything for me, but... When I was a kid, and still today, I could sit down and I could watch Supercar or Fireball XL5 or Thunderbirds, which we'll talk about in a minute, and love them. Not only do they take me back to being a kid, but there's just something comforting about watching those shows. They're in black and white. Maybe that's part of it, but I just really, really enjoy watching those shows. You're kind of lost in that little world for a half an hour, and there's something about that shows, about those shows, plain and simple, that just spoke to me then and still speaks to me as an adult. And all of those shows had a very clear demarcation of good versus yes. evil. Yes, yes, they did. You it was always knew a bad who was guy. Good. You knew who was good, and you knew who the bad guys were. And our heroes always played it straight up. There was no edginess. There was no anti-hero themes. It was very clearly designed to provide lessons in life. Yes, yes, they were. Well, after Fireball XL5... The next show that followed that in the series, let's say, of the Anderson series would have been a show that you remember, but I have seen virtually none of, and that's Stingray. Why don't we talk about Stingray? Stingray was a real fun program that I enjoyed because I was a big fan, as everyone in the Galaxy family knows, of all of the Irwin Allen shows. And in 1961, Irwin Allen produced a full-length motion picture starring Walter Pidgeon and Joan Fontaine, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea which was the basis for his successful program that was ran in 1964 through 68 about the submarine sea view. And Stingray was about a specialized nuclear submarine that was able to travel to all of these exotic places, and it was inspired by that same uh, technical, high-tech gadgetry, but also our heroes. And what was nice about Stingray was that it was in an underwater venue, sort of reminiscent of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You had, uh, again, you know, the pet theme with Oink, the pup seal. You had the exotic woman with Marina. In fact, the song for Stingray, I believe in the closing credits, was Aqua Marina. Was the show in black and white or was it in color? I believe that that one was in color. 
Okay. I'm, I, I, I believe that one may have been in color. I've seen some of the uh, displays on the Internet as being in color. It might have actually bridged the gap. Okay, because I know, I know their next series, which was Thunderbirds, 1963, was not only was it in color, but it was one of the very first shows to be seen in color in England. England didn't go to the PAL color system, I think, until the early 60s, and it was definitely filmed in color for American distribution, but it is said to be one of the very first shows. Now, the Thunderbirds was kind of sort of similar. Once again, you had a crime-fighting organization. You had Lady Penelope, who was in charge of the FAB crime-fighting network. I think that's what it was. Uh, Jeff Tracy was the head of International Rescue. Uh, Lady Penelope drove around in a pink Rolls Royce, and her, her chauffeur was Parker. Remember Parker Park? I yes, ma'am. Where would you like to go, ma'am? I'll take you. Kind of like a kind of like a reformed criminal guy, you know. And, I do remember that. Yes. And who was the brains of the brain? His name brains. was Brains. Brains was, of course, the as as these other shows, the kind of the wizard engineer scientist guy who stayed in the lab and came up with all types of crime fighting tools for them to use in the Thunderbird rockets. And I remember as a kid that that was sort of what we would tell people. Like we call really the smart kid would be called Brains, <laughs> and it was after uh, and inspired by Thunderbirds. Now, what's interesting about Thunderbirds and the British invasion is that my recollection of Thunderbirds and why I was able to watch it with my parents was that Thunderbirds played off of the James Bond phenomenon. Yes, it did. Good point. And James Bond was a British product. Mm -hmm. It had a crime Friday network. You also had exotic women, of course, with James Bond. But the Thunderbirds allowed that to be presented in a safer format. Now, I had a question for you, Mike, and this yeah. is something that I've, I've never been able to... Uh, get a full understanding of. Okay. But it seems to me that by this time, with the supermarination programs in high gear, that the success allowed Thunderbirds to be converted into a full-length theatrical release that I remember seeing in the movie theaters, and I believe the title was Thunderbirds Are Go. Yes, that was their catchphrase, Thunderbirds Are Go, and yes, it was the first of the series to be converted into a full-length feature film. That is true. I don't know if I've ever seen that. I might not have the Thunderbirds film, though I've got so many episodes on DVD. But yes, that is true. The show is very, very popular. And I'd like to point out before we forget, it was one of, and I'm talking about going way back now to the very first one. I'm talking about going back to even Supercar, one of the very first British shows to come to the United States. I mean, people think of British shows today, and they think of Benny Hill, or maybe they think of Monty Python. This was a very, very early British import show, you know, all of these. I think that it came along at the time that the Avengers came into play. Oh, that's right. That's a good point. Of, I didn't even think of the Avengers. The You're Avengers right. was a British product that, that was brought in, and, of course, it featured the very famous uh, Diana Rigg, and before her, her predecessor, Honor Blackman. Okay. And so it, there, there was a commonality that was being woven there. But I think what was interesting about it was at that time, I remember that as kids, James Bond was regarded as being somewhat edgy, mm -hmm. adult content. Yeah. And again, Thunderbirds was a safer version. And so this is something that we were able to enjoy 
with our parents as well. It was a, a wonderful experience, I think. Well, if you were a Thunderbirds fan as I was, do you remember the follow-up show to that, which was Captain Scarlet? Does that ring a bell? That is one that I have heard of, but regrettably, I don't recall watching that. Very much the same type of superhero type of show, flying around, fighting crime, and so on. It came out in 1967, and it was... We're kind of winding down more or less to the end of the line for the Andersons because there were a few follow-up shows. There was a show called Joe 90. Then there was UFO, which was actually a live show. And there was one that I think you remember. What was the one you were telling the me The one that I remember that was produced by the Andersons was titled Space 1999. That's right. Martin it, Landau. It, it had Martin Landau and his then-wife, Barbara Bain, mm-hmm. and it ran from 1975 through 1977. And that also was a pioneering show because it was released in syndication. And the success of Space 1999 actually made possible, about 12 years later, the successful release of Star Trek The Next Generation, Mm -hmm. which, of course, ran for a long time in in syndication. Had they turned from... uh Super Marionation to live acting because Space 1999 was with actors. Yes, it was with actors, but it had a lot of the same gadgetry that we associate Ah, with the Thunderbirds and with Fireball XL5. What I think was remarkable about Thunderbirds was that I believe that there was a whole fleet of different Thunderbird craft and that all the Thunderbirds were designed for specific purposes. Yes, yes there were. They used to I believe the beginning of the show they used to take off on kind of a rocket launch, but yes, there were different Thunderbird craft for different applications and different guys flew different planes. It wasn't like there was only one Fireball XL5 or only one supercar. There were a number of them. There's a historic aspect to this in the context of science fiction. You recall that I mentioned earlier in this program that supercar uh, could trace its historic origins to Jules Verne and the Master of the World. But you can also point out that Fireball XL5, which was launched on a ramp, a, a ramp. Yep. yes, it was a rail track, and then it took off uh, from that rail track, was reminiscent of a film that was released in the 1950s that was based on a 1930s novel titled When Worlds Collide. Mm. And it was a spacecraft that was also launched on a ramp uh, on, on rail cars, and then it took off in the end to gain momentum. And so what we see in these programs is a blend of past, present, and future. And I think that was what was so special about those super marionation programs, is that there was that unique nexus of past, present, and future. And because there were so many obvious connections with some of the earlier classic works that we had mentioned, that there was a teaching aspect to this. There was indeed, and also, I'd like to point out that, don't forget, in the early 1960s, even the mid-60s in this country, it was, as a friend of mine would call, the we're going to the moon decade. People were very optimistic, and technology was going to save us, and we were going to the moon, and the stars were the next step, and get off the ground and get up into space, and there was that type of optimism Very about, much so. about these shows. Yes, and in fact, I'll use that as an opportunity to make a pitch. That was yours truly's first guest appearance on this <laughs> wonderful program. The title of that program was, I believe, Man, Moon, Media, yeah, and Myth, that's yep. correct. and we yes. talked about that uh, that particular era, and that was my, my introduction to all of you. And that was a good show, and it's available for download on our website. You know what? This is a fascinating topic. I'm just sitting back 
back listening to you guys. This is fantastic. We're going to pause for a retro commercial, and then we're going to be back with more on this topic. Super Marionation and uh, Fireball XL5, just fantastic. You're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. If you like figs, you'll love the real fig taste in Fig Newton's Cakes. To prove it, we found some average, ordinary, everyday fig lovers and asked them about the real fig taste in Fig Newton's Cakes. Average, ordinary, everyday fig lovers, what about the real fig taste in Fig Newton's Cakes? Fig Newton's tastes like jelly. Jelly made of figs. You know, the made of figgy good jam? Goody fig jam? Jelly. I mean... Mm hmm. And can you tell me who makes Fig Newton's cakes? Bisco. More Bisco. More Bisco. Nah. Bisco. Nah, Bisco. No Bisco. Do you ever hear in a Bisco? Oh, yes, I have. More Bisco. More Bisco. Nah, Bisco. Bisco. Right, thank you. Yes, very good. All right, thank you very much. Bisco makes Fig Newton's Nah, Bisco. I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you around the universe in Fireball XL5. Well, welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. We've got a fun show. We're talking about Super Marionation. We're talking about Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, Fireball XL5, Stingray, Thunderbirds, a bunch of other shows from the early 60s, and uh, George Helakos, Mike Z, are covering this topic for us, and we're going to get right back to it. George, take it away. I have a very specific reminiscence about Fireball XL5. It's my best remembrance of the show, right. and I can't recall exactly the sequence of episodes, Mike, but I believe that the entire cast is assembled at a space bar, and Steve Zodiac, who's our central hero, actually ends up singing the Fireball XL5 theme song. Robert the Robot is playing drums, and it was the first and only time in the series that the closing credits were not sung, but it was just a pure instrumental version. Well, you, sir, are a Fireball XL5 expert, and I am sitting here like Robbie the Robot with smoke coming out of my ears because <laughs> not many people remember that. That was the next to the last episode. That is true. They all got on stage, they sang the song, and then the closing theme used over the closing credits was purely the instrumental version. Now, the tune, by the way, the official name of the tune is I Wish I Were a Spaceman. It is sung by Don Spencer. The tune allegedly became a minor hit in England at the time, though I looked at the British charts for the, at the time and I don't see it. But here's an interesting point of trivia. Allegedly, Don Spencer is the brother-in-law of Russell Crowe, the actor. Hey, I read this on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask you about was that I remember listening to the song. It's an iconic song. It's an of course, iconic song. And all of us in school memorized the lyrics. But I didn't realize until years later that there's actually a third verse in which he says, but though I'm not a spaceman, it turns out to be it's all imagination. I mean, because the song begins with, I wish I were a spaceman. Yep. But he admits that he is not a spaceman. He's never going to get to the stars. It's but, a love song to his girlfriend, exactly. really. Is what it is. But there were, I think, three or four verses, one of which was not used in the show. And I think it was the third one. Okay. Could have been. But I played that tune myself on my radio show. It is it is one of the best unknown, forgotten rock and roll tunes of the 60s, of the pre-British invasion days. 
Did that chart, Mike? Uh, how did it do back well, in the Mike, day? Well, like I said, I mean, it, it didn't chart on the American charts, and I, de- I have a book that also has the British charts, and it didn't make top 40. It might have hit top 100 or something in England, but it's a, it's a catchy tune, it really is. One of the best ever. One of the things I wanted to ask you, since you've done a lot of the research on this program, what I remember at that time, watching the Ed Sullivan show, you know, Senior Winces, you know, that the, the puppets were somewhat elementary, almost had a comedic nature to them. Did this super marionation program bring a degree of seriousness and more higher level of artistry and sophistication? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it, especially in the production values. I mean, the very first show, of course, being uh, being supercar, wasn't bad. Fireball XL5 a little better, but as you get uh, as you as you get into some of the later shows that they did, particularly Thunderbirds, no expense was spared. And if you watch these shows, you would have to agree that it would be hard to advance puppetry any further than than where than where it is than where it was at that time. Production values very high. Corners were not cut anywhere. Writing was not bad. I don't know. There's such enjoyable shows, and I do not even think that any of these shows are currently popping up on any of the retro cable TV channels. I could be wrong about this, but I don't think they show up on any of the old channels. Am I correct? I believe you are correct, and I'm surprised that the Sci-Fi Network has not used this as an opportunity. You could have uh, a marathon on any one of these shows. They've done it before. They did it for Time Tunnel, for Lost in Space, for a lot of other iconic programs from that same era of the 1960s. I think it would be fun to bring back these shows and to see what you could do if you could generate uh, interest on this. Because there's obviously a music angle. Yes. There's a collectible angle. Yes. There are the production values angle. Yep. And I wanted to ask you another question here about the legacy factor. Again, I mentioned that puppets up until this era were thought of as to being somewhat elementary and sort of a comedic aspect. This presaged puppets becoming part of mainstream education and TV. I mean, think about the Muppets. Think about Sesame Street Mm -hmm. and all of the events that have followed. Did this have a contribution towards making this a a legitimate form of uh, entertainment value? I can't imagine how it could not because these shows were so pervasive. They were all over the place and they were very well distributed and and there was a long series of them. And it's hard to imagine how they could not have had an effect on other, you know, kid shows and puppet shows and so on. And the Muppets, which clearly are not just for children. I mean, the Muppets have a broad appeal to adults also. So I, I can't see how it could be otherwise. If these shows turned up again on cable TV, they would, first of all, I think, very quickly become cult classics. I have no doubt some of the theme songs would become would become popular. I don't know why these shows are not seen anymore. I don't know. But you can get them all on DVD, and I, I would be willing to bet that the few merchandising collectibles that turn up are probably very sought after. I think what's really fun when I think about these wonderful programs is the good values that they provided, the inspiration. One of the things that I thought was kind of neat was that while there were these nerdy-like characters that you mentioned, brains being one, and the professor on, on another one, what I found really interesting was that the lead characters, they were strong, they were brave, the females were beautiful, but they were smart. And so there was an actually an educational aspect where my father would say, see, if you work hard and you stay in school and you learn your lessons well, 
you can learn to fly or you can be able to create new inventions and identify new frontiers of knowledge. So there was always that inspiring aspect. I think so much of entertainment today leaves very much to be desired because there's nothing there to inspire us, to make us feel good. And even, as you said, the music had that. So much of what we see today has a dark quality to it. And it leaves you on a down feeling. Ironically, we don't live in optimistic times, do we? I mean, the 60s were definitely optimistic times. That's why it was called the Soaring 60s. Oh, okay. And And, and so that's what makes it so exciting about, uh, you know, our look back at this. And who knows? Uh, You know, as you said, maybe with someone that is listening to this program, there'll be an opportunity for them to... uh, create a letter writing campaign to bring them back but it's so nice here on the galaxy nostalgia network that we have an opportunity to discuss this and maybe introduce yet a new generation to the exciting world of super marionation they're all available on dvd go get them absolutely well guys thank you so very much i just sat back in the show and just listened. this this is fascinating what a great topic george mike z thanks a lot Well, we're going to end our show. We're just about at the end of this half hour. It's another half hour that just flown by. I want to remind you real quickly, our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com, galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com. If you have any memories of Fireball, XL5, Stingray, Thunderbirds, any of these great shows, drop us a note. Don't forget our website, galaxymoonbeamnightside.com. You can download any of our past 80-plus shows and uh, look at some great pictures. And, of course, if you want to see more great pictures, including some of the scans that uh, George is going to do for us, look on our Facebook page, Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside page on Facebook. And make sure that you like us when you're there. Check, Click the little box that says like and become our friend. That's all the time we have on this show. We thank you so much for joining us. I'm Smitty. I'm George. F.A.B. Gilbert. I'm Mike Z. Ah, there you go. There you go, Mike Z. Well, thanks. Thanks, folks, for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Okay. And maybe very soon we cruise along the Milky Way and land upon the moon to a wonderland of stardust. We'll zoom away to Mars. My heart would be a fireball. A fireball Cause you would be my Venus of the stars